Hi, I'm Anne McElhenney. And I'm Phil McAleer. And this is the Anna Film Scoop. Yes, the podcast. Coming but to you from New York at the moment. Yes. Um, we're, not in, we're not in Venice. Um, Anymore, Dorothy. Um, Scaredy and Top are doing well. We will put up, periodically put up photographs to show that our cats are alive. Proof of life photographs. Uh, we've got a very packed program today. Uh, first of all, you know, we want to mention, we're going to spend a lot of the program talking about our dear friend Orson Bean, who tragically died at the on weekend. On Friday, on Friday night. Um, last Friday, he, he was a very important person for us in many ways. And uh, we, we'll be talking about him later, but it's, uh, it's put a bit of a gloom over us this week. And... Uh, we, you know, we want to t- share some stories and, and tell you what a great person he was, professionally, personally, uh, politically, all, all of the above. He, you may know him as Andrew Breitbart's father-in-law, but he was so much more. He, uh, yes. You may know him as an actor. He was so much more. So we're going to get into all that detail later on. We're also going to be looking, uh, we have announced last week that the, our play, FBI Lovebirds Undercovers, the, is coming to CPAC. It's going to be on the CPAC main stage on the 27th of February. We'll be talking more. And of course, it's driven, uh, and actually not of course, it's driving people mental. Completely nuts. Uh, completely nuts, which is actually, funny enough, I knew I knew they were nuts, but it, it surprised me how nuts they yeah, are. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really been a triggering, it's been a triggering event it's for a lot of people. Tri- so talking, we're going to talk about that. Talking of triggering. No, uh, we've covered, we're here, of course, covering every day, covering the Weinstein trial. Go to the weinsteinpodcast.com for, for, and we're doing this in a unique way. We're taking the transcripts every evening. We're doing commentary on it, but we're sending those the extra highlights of the transcripts to Los Angeles. They're being reenacted by voice actors and producing amazing one, content, yeah. amazing so we'll drama. Be talk, we'll be giving you more detail on that later. And we're also going to be looking at racism, how you can... How you can cure yourself of the racism you don't even know you by have. By having dinner and paying $2,500 and for that dinner. And Anna Alexander, because of course, has also has something to say about that, so we're going to racism. listen about that. And we're also going to um, um, find out about an amazing Yale study that has now connected fracking with um, sexually transmitted diseases. Mm, of course. Uh, very important. And you're going to hear about how I tried to burn down the Airbnb we're staying in. In New York. Um, and then wait, and 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 mo- and much much more as they yes. say, and much much more. But we're going to start today by um, by talking about about our friend Orson, who yes. who really um, we're still reeling from the fact that on Friday, so on Friday night, uh, last Friday night, um, Orson decided to, as he always does, by the way, go to the Pacific Resident Theatre in Venice, down the road from just us. down the road from us, down the road from where he lives, um, his wife of. 27 years Ali Ali Bean was performing and this is what he does he just you know would cycle a lot of times cycle over on his electric bike or walk over to meet her after the show and he did he walked and then he um, tried to cross the road on Venice, Venice, Boulevard. Venice Boulevard on Friday night at 7.30 and time. he was clipped by one car and then run over by another one and uh, was declared dead on the scene and it's such a shock we are like we're still days and days on later on Friday morning I, on Saturday morning I got an email from someone and you know where you can see the headline in the link and it was actor comedian dies in car accident and I, before I opened it I thought I, all these people's names went through my head I said, oh my all, you know and the person said I know he was a friend of yours and all these names went through my head and the last I never thought that the 91 year old would be would be the person you know Orson was the youngest 91-year-old I have ever met. He won a Critics' Choice Award for his one-man show. 
Uh, LA, Safe at home. LA Critics Choice at 89. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, a show that we saw many times and brought lots of friends to, yes, and, and we're really glad. We and did. we're going to talk more about actually but, about about safe at home later like, on. Uh, what uh, so many stories with Orson? Um, so I, li- st- I like your story. I like the story about the Clinton emails yes. on film. But thing. there's, uh, I will say, there's so many stories we can't tell for uh, <laughs> for family reasons, uh, politically correct reasons. Yeah, politically correct reasons, but also X-rated. I think we'd have to make the podcast explicit. But for example. You may remember we did the Clinton emails on film project uh, and there actually it was in 2016 in the run up to the election where all the Clinton staff uh, and aides and Hillary Clinton herself was going to looking like we're going to be uh, we're, we're being deposed under oath about the Clinton email scandal and they would release the transcripts but the judge wouldn't allow them to release the videos in case they were used for nefarious purposes during the election so the judge was making a political decision. Uh, that that truth was going to be uh, suppressed because uh, for a to preserve one's one person's political uh, election. So we took the transcripts and we got actors to reenact amazing the the depositions, and they were amazing. The the level of mendacity, the level of prevarication, the level of I don't remember. I think it was one. But person. also that you know, but the but the but I think the main point is actually in some ways, and particularly with the story we're telling, is um, that the actors were so great. But, but failing, I was directing. You're, it. you're, I was you're directing. directing for the first, the first time. time I'd ever directed actors. Right. You're panicking. I was panicking. I don't know how to direct actors. So I went over to see him. I said, Orson, what, 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 how do you direct actors? You know, what do you do? And uh, he says, well, you know, he said, you know, actors will do whatever the director tells them they're like children once they get it once they get the cameras there uh you know you're the boss and they will do what you tell them and, and here's you know and less is more very good impo- you know he says you know if at the end they say but if you ask me to, to do less I, I won't be acting he says that's your success but he said you know so he told me give me all these tips about directing and practical tips and artistic tips but then the thing he did most was on the opening day when the first day of filming he arrived in the theater and came in and everyone knew him of course all in the acting community and they actually gave him a round of applause because <laughs> he just won the uh, best show uh, the critics choice award and uh, he said he turned to the actress and he said well you're so lucky to be working with Phil and McAleer. he's one of Ireland's leading directors I've been directed by him many times and it's he's the best director I've ever had by far, he's just—he's just a wonderful. You're so lucky, and you can see all the actors going, "Oh my god!" And basically, by the time he'd finished, you know, as you may know, Orson was a great storyteller. Some of his stories were true, some of them were not. <laughs> but he had them convinced I was the Irish Tarantino, and if I—I I, I, just—if I told them to stick their hand in the fire, they would have done it for the artistic purpose that. Because uh, they suddenly felt really comfortable and, and felt he, very secure, and that's what he did. He made them feel comfortable. It was really secure. kind. So. Uh, and it's, you know, and, and everything about our relationship with him was like that. He was really generous. I just lived across. Um, we live in Venice. He lived in the canals near yeah. us. We're still, as I said, we're still trying to process the fact that he's gone. It's it's an unbelievable And we're loss. not there. And we're not there. Um, and we're so sorry for Ali. They had this incredible relationship. We're going to talk about more about that later on. But um, but we're just, our hearts and our prayers and thoughts go out to the family and this huge loss. I mean, they lost Andrew Breitbart, as as you guys know, not that long ago at the age of 43. And now to lose Orson like this mm-hmm. in such a sudden way when he was so full of life. I mean, people, you know, and that's one of the things like, you know, I, I you know, people who don't know him are thinking, well, he's 91. Yeah. Except for the fact that he was that 91 I, year old. I actually, he was so I actually alive. thought Orson had a 
fourth career in him as the as an old man actor now you know as you know although he 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 kind of dismissed that he, you know he he said there's lots of work for dirty grandpa roles and he didn't want that he wanted you know you know he said Betty White's always in work because because there's all these roles dirty grandma you know and grandma says says the f word and he says it's getting a bit old <laughs> boom boom but I felt there was a, he had a whole career now, and and I'm playing, you know, old. And we man. just saw him. So he played it. They, 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 both himself and Ali played in a, in a show just, just, just now yeah. in Santa Monica at the airport at a little small theater there called Bad Habits, where he played a. He was a cardinal or yeah, a, bishop a bishop or whatever, and who wanted, and Ali, to, who wanted to get the, the 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 convent out from under the Irish nuns, you know, and the Irish nun and the Irish, you know, yeah. the, the mother superior played by his wife Ali, and it was such a delightful play, and we're so privileged and so mm. honored and so happy that we went to see that and how many times and how wonderful evenings yeah. or loads of times we've had with, gonna, with, yeah. with, with, with anyway we're going to we're going to we're going to we'll talk put up more some about photographs that. of us with ours yeah then. we'll put up some photographs but we had lovely dinners with him um but let's talk about the fbi lovebirds and i want to talk about orson a bit more at the end yeah, we'll because talk about um, at the end. we want to share some more stuff with you about that okay. so we you know we made the announcement that um cpac are going to host fbi lovebirds right. at the end of the month in yes. washington dc and just, you know we thought there might be a little bit of you know pushback on that but no nothing really prepared us for what then the madness the madness complete madness because we did fbi lovebirds in dc before and uh got a i mean the theater canceled but that's what they do that's what liberals do they they don't like um the left they don't like anybody getting in on their little bit of artistic merit but it didn't take long for us to get a death threat right yeah (laughs) so we're by the way we are fundraising on indiegogo go to fbilovebirds.com it's costing it's costing about sixty thousand. We're looking for fifty-four thousand to go there. We need it. It's very expensive to bring a whole play, a whole. And set, if you and actors. if you can and if you can donate, we are a five hundred one c three, so you will get um, a tax doni- a tax deduction for that. As you say, it didn't take us long to get a death threat. It didn't. Yes. And then, you know, we got we got slave of logic. By the way, I on love Twitter. these people. I love these people on Twitter who just won't use their own name. But slave of logic, who basically said, "Can we start a GoFundMe?" Uh, to send one lucky coronavirus victim to CPAC. I've got $100 to start. Yeah. So they want to infect the 10,000 people who come to CPAC basically because they're scared uh, of the truth. And, and let me say, so it's the FBI lovebirds undercovers. It's it's the text messages of Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. Verbatim. Verbatim, along with their behind-closed-doors congressional testimony. I do not add a word to this I you know I I I'm down as a writer, but in many ways I'm the curator of, yes. of their truth yeah. and the truth. Yeah, and that I think is what's driving people crazy. I think also since we did the last one, Lisa Page has become this kind of girl around town in D.C. She's giving interviews. She's become this martyr, and how struck has become adopted a public profile. So I think they're sort of the Valerie Palma of this of this administration. The victim du jour. Yeah. And uh, the cool people, and uh, like the Daily Cost, the big left wing site Daily Cost described this play as absolutely sickening. You know, uh, it's funny actually. You know, when you think of the context of that from the left's point of view, you know, this is the left, this is the Daily Cost, who didn't seem to have a problem with you know the Julius Caesar um, uh, Shakespeare in the park yeah, well, here in New York, where they actually what did they you know where they stabbed, stabbed, stabbed Donald Trump to death, to death, or Kathy Griffin who beheaded Donald Trump, yeah, or took pictures. I, I'm just wondering what the Daily Cost Anyways, did, the, the Daily Cost think that was absolutely. Yeah, the Daily Cost want they want protesters at CPAC, um, and 
and they call obviously the people at CPAC the deplorables because that's and, what they believe. And are they calling? Are they calling Dean and, Dean and Christie the Dixie, Dixie chicks? Are they? Yeah, no, no, they want they want the Dixie chicks. So the Dixie chicks were you know were boycotted by conservatives, which was the best thing ever happened to them. Actually, they became massively and internationally successful. Susan Hennessy, who is a Brookings senior fellow, I remember Andrew Breitbart talking about Andrew Breitbart earlier. He put on his Twitter handle. I'm a senior fellow at the F- Senior Fellows Institute at the Fellows. Uh, <laughs> you know, because all yeah. these people are senior fellow. A senior fellow means nothing, right? Now, she's also a CNN national security and legal analyst and a former a I- IC attorney. A CNN national security and legal analyst means nothing, right? So, so she's lawfare executive editor, Brookings senior fellow, CNN national security and legal analyst and a former IC attorney. And she's based in Washington, of course. And she has 322,000 people who follow her on Twitter. And she's written a book called Unmasking the Presidency or something. Anyway, she wrote a tweet. Don't ever talk to me about conservatives and Christian values again. The politics of personal destruction for mere sport. This is disgusting and shameful. And if you're participating in CPAC, you are complicit. Don't lie to yourself about being on some removed high road. And that was retweeted last time we looked by 7,000 people. There were 3,000 comments and there are 26,000 likes. And it's like, it's the truth. It's their words written on work phones. They wrote, their FBI agents writing on work phones. And what did they write? They wrote, Trump's not going to get elected, is he? No, but let's set up the insurance policy or no, we can stop it. And well, let's like have a look. Actually, let's have a little look at, at the trailer. At the trailer for 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 the FBI love birds. So, so yeah, you, you get a sense. We meant to tell you, Dean Keen is playing Peter Strzok. Uh, Christy Swanson is playing Lisa Page. Have let's have a look at this right now. I have heard that you are regarded as the number one counterintelligence agent in the world. Comment on that? Did you get laid yesterday? I didn't. I'm concerned that someone forgot to validate my time or something. Oh, ha! Uh, that's funny. Paid, not laid. There's no way he gets elected, Dash. But I'm afraid we can't take that risk. It's like an insurance policy. God, Hillary should win 100 million to zero. Just went to a Southern Virginia Walmart. I could smell the Trump support. Vomit. Vomit. Vomit, vomit, vomit. You can come hang out in 4012 with me. I have remnants of Cubota chips and salsa. It's going to be a Clinton-Trump race. Unbelievable. What? Exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, question mark, question mark. Please don't ever text me again. A 
It's going to drive them crazy. It's going to drive them crazy. Yeah. But but basically, I think we didn't expect such a massive yeah, kind and, of... And um, what, what she was responding to was actually... The tweet she was responding to was one by Aaron Rupor. He wrote, there is no bottom. Oh, yeah, bottom. there's no bottom. Like, can, can, how low can you go? Yeah, and he got eight and a half thousand likes and 1.9 thousand retweets. Funny enough, for some reason, I we don't know how many comments he got because it doesn't come up on his Twitter. Thing. But I think what happened actually was that then somebody, someone called Benjamin Witz, who's also a senior fellow at the Brookings Institute yes. and editor-in-chief of Lawfare blog and a law analyst for NBC <laughs> News and MSNBC. Um, so basically, he then wrote, in light of the president's disgusting comments yesterday and this piece of vileness, FBI Lovebirds, FBI Lovebirds. Phelan, com. Phelan uh, by the way, calling Phelan a piece of well, vileness. Well, calling my work of art a All piece right. of vileness. I will just reiterate that I'm a proud to call both national security L- Lisa, Lisa, so Lisa Page, and Peter Strzok friends. I admire both of them, and I will say this again and again, as long as they're both stigmatized, so there. So there, and by the way, so there, so he writes, there. and you're, you're seeing those p- tweets, we're putting them up on the screen yes. right now, but so there. Isn't that what people say who are four years old? So there. Yeah, but anyway, so that's the level he's at. And that, by the way, got retweeted like whatever. The last time I looked, I think nearly 10,000 times. And Benjamin has been writing like like text message or, or tweet after tweet after tweet. He's very upset. We're going to show you some more uh, newspaper, you know, or, or websites. I mean, everyone's been on. Everyone's been at it. And it's like. What what got up your treasures? Like I mean, it's. But it's we got a very nice. We got a very nice. Um, Fox News did a very nice oh yeah. uh, sort of intro oh yes, to, let's to, let's to show that. Let's show that. It's quite funny. It's like the news anchor is is saying that you can sort of see her trying to not laugh, and then off screen you hear Brian Kilmeade. Let's hear his reaction. Okay, let's hear that. Let's hear that. The show called FBI Lovebirds Undercovers is a verbatim reading of anti-Trump text messages sent between Strzok and Page. Dean Kane and actress Christy Swanson will star in the show February 27th in Maryland. <laughs> it will be the first play to ever be performed at the conference. Wow, it's going to be exciting. <laughs> I, really gonna be I tried to keep a straight face, but I heard you right. laugh. And, and they're, they're just going to read the transcript, right? Yeah. Yes, they're acting <laughs> out the stuff. transcript between the lovebirds. All right. All right. I think we've already, we know how that show <laughs> so yeah so so basically you know so we're going to have um the fbi lovebirds at cpac you can help you can go online right now to fbilovebirds.com yeah. and donate what you can because we're gonna, yeah we're gonna we really some, need we're gonna we put up some help. headlines of, of of what it was like when it when it premiered in dc i mean national review said it was a scream federalist said it's a comic masterpiece even, even vice gar- yeah even vice news said it's the most dangerous play in dc and i think vice news were very honest about it and they were very fair about it actually yeah and vice news big lefty place but they said it's the most dangerous play in dc and that is what has got them the left going crazy yeah that the most dangerous play is not going to play in a, in a theater of 500 people like it did the last time. It's going to play in front of 3,000 people, but it's going to play in front of the, the na- national and international media and maybe on C-SPAN. They are scared that the truth about the Russia hoax is going to be more and more widely known. So let's keep them scared. Let's keep them on their toes. Let's make their lives miserable. So go to... Uh, FBILovebirds.com, please. Yeah. So we need to move on because we're running out of time. So basically, our next story is about, um, you know, you know that we're here in New York. We're covering the Weinstein trial. And, um, you know, things are wrapping up, by the way. Yes. By the, you know, we're, you know, I think we're two or three days away from the whole thing ending, by the way. Well, two or but three this days week we've from, had from the defense ending, then you're going to have to have the... The prosecutions wrap up and the defense wrap up and then the judges wrap up. But but in memorable 
testimony since the last time we talked yeah. to you, we heard from, which I thought was really fascinating, because you know that they, you remember that we had heard from, the prosecution had a, an expert witness called... Bar- Dr. Barbara Ziv. Dr. Barbara Ziv, who is from t- a professor at Temple University and is an expert on um, memory. Mm-hmm. And, um, but actually then... The defense had an incredible um, witness called Professor Elizabeth Loftus, Mm -hmm. who, in terms of CV, in terms of her professional qualifications, really does Mm -hmm. blow Dr. Ziv well out of the water. Um, And she has an amazing CV. She has done an amazing amount of work. So she's about, she's 75 years old, I think. And, but she has been, you know, in a lot of court cases. And her, you know, her thing is that, um, memory is very, very unreliable, and that in fact, yeah. if you have the right circumstances, you can plant memories yeah. in people, and you can also get people to relabel things that happened yeah. in their past. I, I think the, the important thing is that she's she's basically a national hero, right? Yes, because she, you may know her from the McMartin preschool, the fake child abuse scandal, where in the eighties, um, one child sort of said they were abused, and this exploded into this 300 child accusation that the McMartin family were part of a satanic cult. And basically, when you looked at it, it was a child abuse institute and overzealous law enforcement prompt putting ideas in children's heads and creating look, hysteria, creating history, but also creating um, asking children leading questions and I suppose rewarding the children in a subtle ways if, if the they if they gave the yeah the correct answers yeah. and so created all these memories in these children, and uh, she was the one that revealed this and you know it was known as the memory wars because there were all these people saying oh that you can bury memories uh, and then there's people saying no these are false memories and she came out a hero uh, and and sa- and established the idea of false memories being planted, and so she she talked about this in court with her massive CV. And uh, she she talked about post how post event inf- information can affect people's memories. So if you something happened to you, and in the intervening time you read many media reports or several media reports about it, that they can contaminate your memory. And of course, there's no <laughs> better inc- example, no incident, and no person who's had more media reports than Harvey Weinstein. So people are talking now about events that happened 27 years ago, as in the case of the Sopranos actress Annabella Sciorra. And she's now saying, oh, this happened, that happened. And her friends saying this happened and that happened. And of course, the media has has contaminated that 27 year gap, according to Dr. Loftus. And they, she also said that your friends can contaminate your memory because your friend can say, you told me that. And then they can talk about it and what the friend said she said at the time can become a memory so if a cop keeps asking you questions are you sure he didn't have black hair are you sure he didn't have black maybe it, what color of the hair was it black and eventually you go i think it was black you know, i think it was black yeah and and you create this memory because to reward uh, but not it's not necessarily done in a bad way but yeah. it, it can seep in another and that's significant because you know the Excuse me while I go down the road of Harvey Weinstein's genitalia here, but uh, you know there's a whole debate about Harvey Weinstein was he intersex and all this. And one of the witnesses, no, nothing usual, nothing wrong, nothing wrong. It was only after repeated questioning by law enforcement about his about whether he was intersex or not that she suddenly remembered. Yes, yes, actually, now you come to mention it, there was something, even though she denied it many times in the run up. So 
And there's a few examples of that in the Weinstein trial. Yeah. There's there's also the witness that, you know, was unusable by the prosecution no, that's, originally, that's, that's and then and then had fifty five had fifty five interventions from a from a medical mm-hmm. me- memory expert, yeah. and and suddenly had this much clearer picture yeah. of what had happened. That's a third category that she talked about was how your memory can be contaminated by therapy. Um, so if a therapist, many therapists used dream interpretation or imagination therapy. Um, and many of them, you know, will try and help you bring things together that that aren't there. So this witness, uh, she, her, the, the the DA wrote to her, wrote to her lawyer and said, "Sorry, your case is untriable because your memory is so fragmented." But can we recommend th- this trauma expert psychologist? And after fifty five visits. Suddenly the story was solid and they were able to go ahead. And it's not the only one. I mean, you know, so there's a lot. So the the whole issue of memory becomes very significant in this trial. So it was very useful to have Mm -hmm. uh, to hear from from Dr. Loftus. But anyway, we're going to keep you up to up to date. And obviously the trial is not over yet. We don't have a jury. We don't have the jury haven't gone out yet. Please go to Weinstein, the Weinstein podcast dot com. Rate it, please. Uh, Actually, funny. I saw uh, people are leaving negative reviews. One person said, I don't like this. I can't believe these people are climate, you know, I, I wouldn't trust anything they say because they're climate skeptics. Uh, so people are people are, are trolling us and leaving bad reviews. So please go there, go to WeinsteinPodcast.com, uh, leave, leave, us, leave a good star rating, listen to it, leave a good star rating, leave a good review. This encourages other people to, to get all and share reviews. it and share it with other people. As share well. it with everyone you think might be interested. So our next story actually is a very is a, is a fun story. We we have a story, you know. So racism um, has become a big issue in America. Just when you think that the country had been cured of racism by, uh, by, by having a well by having had a president elected popularly twice who was black, and yet the country apparently has never been never been more recent racist. But uh, so two stories. One that I thought was fabulous from the Guardian where, you know, as I say, you know, you read stuff like this and you think, you think, is this like an Onion article? So basically, a growing number of women are paying to confront their privilege and racism at dinners that cost $2,500. So basically, you invite these two women over to your house and you pay them $2,500 and you bring your friends and then they come and they basically, uh, you know, make you make you realize, even though you maybe aren't, make you realize that you're a big fat racist, basically. Actually, it's and funny. It's, it's, that was another thing in the Weinstein trial, how you, sometimes people can relabel something so they can they, they can look back on an incident 20 years ago with a more aggressive view or a more angry view. And I suppose it's kind of like, you know, well, I, you know, this guy stepped on my foot and I was really angry. And now that I look back two years later, I realize I was really I was really angry because he was black. Well, maybe you're angry because he stepped on your foot. So, so it's, it's called race to dinner, and a white woman a white woman volunteers to host race a dinner. Race to profit, actually. I, I, I would, yeah. I'm I'm just thinking. I'd I'd love to do some version of this and charge twenty five hundred dollars, but I wouldn't be calling people racists while I was sitting there. A white woman volunteers to host a dinner at home for seven other white women, often strangers, perhaps acquaintances. Each dinner costs twenty five hundred dollars, which can be covered by a generous host or divided among the guests. A frank dis- discussion is led by founders Regina Jackson, who's black, and Syrah Rao, who identifies as Indian American. Yes. And by the way, identify, does that mean she's not Indian American? Because well, we need to ask Elizabeth Warren on that. Now. You would. They, needed, they started Race to Dinner to chal- challenge liberal white women to accept their racism. However subconscious, by the way, of course, if you did this in a conference room, they'd leave, Rouse says, but wealthy white women have been taught never to leave the dinner table. Um, 
I, I, you know, you can't make this stuff up. So basically, they sit around the table and they start asking questions. And even people who are sitting at the table who think, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. You know, there's one woman here that they quote, I, I want to hire people of colour, not because I want to be like a white saviour. I've explored my need for validation. I'm working through that. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm struggling. She stutters before finally giving up. Yeah. So basically, there's this kind of, um, you know, very high yeah, intensity you, situation. So if you want to hire people of colour, if you don't hire people of colour, you're racist. And if you want to hire people of colour, you're racist. But but the other, then just, just coming off of that uh, story, then we have this fabulous video, which we're going to share with yes. you now, of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, questioning her uh, white boyfriend yeah. about what he does and how he's trying to help others, particularly white people, uh, acknowledge their racism. Let's watch it Well, now. one thing I would say is there are alpha males and there are beta males. So, Riley, what has been helpful to you in combating racism? Uh, I think it's helpful and important to talk to other white people about racism. And I think a lot of people... They don't want to be racist. They don't think that they're racist, but they also don't know some of the things that they believe or say are and can be racist. And I think one of the like effective ways is just to talk and kind of help teach them about why some of the things they believe or say or think are wrong, mm-hmm. not necessarily racist, but that they're wrong. And that'll sort of like chip away and you know, contribute to some development in this area, but not necessarily take somebody from like being a racist to Mm -hmm. not being a racist in one conversation. And it's just always being open to learning about racist things that we may have said or done without judgment and defensiveness. So doesn't he seem like a lovely fellow though? Seriously, Phelan. What woman would find that attractive? Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard to know. I mean, uh, but, it, but the whole the whole scenario is is just um, God help us. I mean, geez. yeah, it's pretty it's pretty extraordinary stuff. Is that's attractive. The guts attractive. That kind of apparently. So we're moving on. We have to move on. We can't even to quote, we can't the, to quote the former governor of California, and I, therefore I'm allowed to say it: a girly man. A girly man. Okay. So um, the latest news, and everyone, hang on to your hats. Um, fracking. Not alone does it cause every kind of calamity that you thought you knew that it caused. Now we know from Yale, because Yale want to study things that are important. We know from a Yale study that fracking causes sexually transmitted diseases. Um, And this is a new report, um, just fabulous. So researchers from the Yale School of Public Health published one of the dumbest papers we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And I'm just quoting here, by the way, from Climate Depot, our friend Mark Morano. Uh, Just a great story. They, They claim that some areas in which fracking takes place... Texas only. So they decided to do this study of fracking. But you know what? Let's only go to one place mm-hmm. rather than, you know, because it's obviously this fracking in North Dakota, this fracking in Pennsylvania. But no, let's go to let's go to just Texas. So they yes. take this one place. Part of Texas. Um, and they're saying basically that in the areas where fracking takes place, they have more sexually transmitted diseases. Embarrassingly funny. Yes. fracking. But, but only two. Po- so there's five main sexually transmitted diseases. But in these areas of fracking, only two of them have increased. Uh, and the other three have decreased, uh, have decreased or stayed the same. So are they saying that fracking then protects you from uh, from the three, but increases the two? And why didn't they go to Pennsylvania? And why didn't they go to Ohio? And why didn't they go to North Dakota? Because the figures don't don't. So basically, you know, the question is like, how did this paper even get? And by the way, on the serious note, how did this paper even get published? Because what this is called, this is called data dredging. This is where you. You know, you have a theory, fracking is the worst thing ever. Let's connect it now to well, something awful, like, like sexually transmitted diseases. Like, like and then let's mm-hmm. let's just cherry pick 
these particular things and try and massage the numbers to work. But as you say, there's five main sexually transmitted diseases. They only look at two. And then instead of looking where fracking is happening generally, which is happening all over the place, they decide to go to frac- to, to a what couple of counties in, in Texas. Scientists have a name for this, the barn. I think it's the barn shooting at the barn door uh, effect. What you do is you shoot at a barn door like this, you know, several times. Then you draw a target around it. Oh, yeah. And you look like you're a really good shot. So, you know, so what they're doing is they're drawing a target around, looking for an area where it's increased. And then they, they put a fracking thing on top of that where they ignore other areas where it's decreased. Uh, so, so it's... It's kind of sad, though, by the way. It's another reason why you shouldn't send your children to university. Particularly Yale, by the way. I mean, you just think that, you know, you can imagine this from a, a lesser establishment, mm-hmm. but no, actually, no. Um, and then it just in news, local news from New York, I tried to burn down the Airbnb, uh, just let everyone know. And here's a photograph of what I actually did. Do you see that photograph? Mm-hmm. That's not black and white. So, yeah, I um, made a magnificent frittata. Um, that, by the way, it was originally a magnificent frittata. I left yes. it in the oven. Turned the oven off, I thought, yes. and went off uh, to get my hair coloured, yes. and uh, then got a, uh, a phone call from the, the owner. La- the owner saying, "Yeah, this apparently the neighbours. The neighbours. The neighbours are, are going. The neighbours are panicking. The neighbours are about to kick the door in. Yes, on a five, fl- seven floors walk up, and we're on the fifth floor. You can imagine how the people feel. The poor ladies yes. upstairs. Uh, yeah, with the f- with the smoke coming out, and yeah, the smoke alarm had gone off. But yes, yeah, so that's that was a learning curve. Yes. Yeah, was. and you don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, we've, well, you know, one thing, but just before we, we go on to our final, uh, I have to say, it looks like Joe Biden, as you know, is not doing well, is not going to succeed. And it's actually finally proof that perhaps there are some intelligent Democrats out there because, I mean, one thing, we watched the Clarence Thomas documentary and, and Joe Biden amazing. was... I mean, I hate to say, you know, a complete idiot in that documentary. Like, it just made no sense. But at least he was sharp. When mm-hmm. he, he could he could disguise his his lack of intelligence in a kind of uh, by fluency. But now, as he's got old, he's less fluent. He, he, his grasp of, of 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 vocabulary is not as good, and uh, it really exposes him. And I was thinking, he's not going to last. Like he this he will this will not work. And I was sort of hoping that uh, that they would choose him because he was such a bad candidate. But no, they've been smart. So if they had chosen him, that that footage from the Clarence Thomas documentary would be just priceless. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but, but well, let's see who 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 emerges now from Super Tuesday as we go forward. Um, it'll it'll be interesting. It'll and be very uh, interesting. <laughs> so we've come we've come you know to sort of the last section of of this of this podcast, which we want to devote to our dear dear friend Orson Bean, who we we still cannot believe um died on friday um on friday night in a horrible in a horrible um car accident where he was hit crossing the road to go mm-hmm. and see his darling the love of his life by the way and we we've been friends with orson for a while and, yeah. and we learned i mean and i i think there's probably people out there fans of orson's who don't even know the whole story of of his life he had a horrible childhood um he at the age of six his mother said to him um you have to make sure your father doesn't leave us. And if he leaves us, I'm going to kill myself. And so the child took on this massive responsibility to try to love the father enough that the father wouldn't leave home. And at the age of 16, when um, he had le- uh, the father had the father had left, the mother had started to drink a lot. She'd seen started seeing a lot of men. 
Orson had moved out of the house and was living in a small little room at a hotel and actually was really peaceful for mm-hmm. one for a moment in his life. His yeah. mother his mother phoned him oh, on her, her birthday, birthday and said, come home, come home, I need you to come home. And he didn't. And uh, she killed herself. And he was haunted for most of his life about that. And one quote from from Orson, um, we're going to show we're going to show a little clip as well from this amazing one man show that Phelan mentioned earlier that won the L.A. Critics, um, the L.A. Times Critics Award yeah. uh, two years ago. But he said in an interview, I don't know anyone who doesn't have an empty spot at the center of him, which must be filled in order to be really happy. That spot, like it or not, is reserved for God. And so he talks about um, he had, I think, a moment where he he, you know, so he was incredible. You can imagine having that happen to you when you're a young man, a young boy, basically a 16 year old. He went through a period where he drank an awful lot and then joined AA. And at, when he was in AA, and it's told slightly differently in this in his one man mm-hmm. show. But when he was in AA, he met a man who said to him, you know, you should pray every day, even if you don't believe it. Just get down on your knees and pray anyway and just do it anyway. And um, he tells that he tells a version of that story in in home um, safe at home, which is on YouTube and is free to watch. And we're going to show a clip of it now in a minute. But um, and I would highly recommend people to watch it. Um, when I when I mm-hmm. when I heard that he had died, I looked and seventeen thousand people had watched it on YouTube. And I think the last time I looked, twenty five thousand. Yeah. But I think it should be one hundred and fifty thousand or a million people should watch it. Mm-hmm. But basically, he. He went home and he started to pray. He used to do this. He used to get down on his knees and he would pray and say, if you're there, God, or if you're there, I had a good day. And he'd wake up in the morning and he would do the same thing. And um, the the clip we're going to show right now, and we'll talk about it afterwards, the clip we're going to show right now is that um, he did that for quite a period of time and then something happened. Let's watch that. I had always felt guilty about that phone call in the stairwell of the Hotel Continental when I was 16. It had bothered my dreams all these years. My father had died long since, but my mother lived on in me and always cast a slight patina of sadness over the happiest of times. One morning I wake up, look around the room and realize that something has changed. The sun is still peeking through the space between the curtains and the French doors. The little picture of Jesus is still by the bed. The cat is sitting on the rug glaring at me with her usual baleful expression that says she can't believe I have not yet gotten up to feed her. (laughs) But something is different. All at once, it becomes clear to me. The guilt I have lived with all my life over my mother's suicide is gone. It's gone. Oh, thank you, God. And God, while I have your ear, thanks for all of it. I love my life. Well, that's about it, folks. I I do want to say... Um, it's very hard to watch and um, that, particularly with the last line, I love my life. And he loved his mm-hmm. life. My God, I mean, he, wh- how much did he love his life? Him? I mean, you know, we used to be like driving around Venice and we'd be going to our 
Costco. We all we mm. all went to the same Costco, and you'd see him flying out of Costco on his electric bicycle, like. Yeah. And we had a dinner with with some friends with with people from the Duck Dynasty, people Alan and Lisa Robertson. Big shout out to them, and they were over, and and our friend Margot was there. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. You know, our friend Arlen was there. Yeah. Larry was there. And when we was, when he was leaving, and we'd all had a couple of drinks and everything, and Kristen was there. By the way, Rick yeah. was there. A whole bunch of people. And he's leaving, and our friend Quiva was there. He's leaving, and he says, "I'm, I'm just going to get up on the bike." And they're like saying, Don't "No way! This is, what's we'll, going on here?" They're we'll like, "They're like, we got a taxi for you." And he's like, "No, no, I'm going." And this is like, this is only a few months ago. So he was like 1991, um, but that was him. And this is like 10, 11 o'clock at night, and he's on his bike, whizzing around Venice, walking around Venice, going to meet his friends, going to have coffee. You remember yeah. he used to go. He, used to he go had to a French friend, cafe every French Thursday. cafe every Thursday to meet a, a buddy of his. I mean, we're not, we're unfortunately not in Venice, but we can imagine people are devastated in Venice because he was such a fixture. Um, but obviously on the more, much, much more personal level for, um, for, Ali. for Ali to have lost and, and the Susie, love of her life and, and Susie. Susie to have lost her dad. Yeah. It's just extraordinary, particularly given that Susie lost Andrew. You know, it's, we just, it's unbelievable, but he had a wonderful, he did really have a wonderful yes. life and he did really find happiness and he did find the love of his life, yes. which a lot of people don't. Um, and he was so grateful to Ali and he mm-hmm. loved her so much and we loved him so much and we loved, we used to walk along the canals and we'd just drop in and we'd say, yeah. are you there? Whatever. And he'd always come out and, the que- and he always said the same thing. When you said to him, how are you? He said, better than I deserve. That was his line. Mm-hmm. Better than I deserve. Um, so um, we're just... Uh, Highly recommend everyone, please, please watch Safe at Home on YouTube. By We're going to put Bean. up by Orson Bean. We'll put up a link. It'll be on the yeah. Facebook page. And, um, and whoever whoever yeah. you love, give them a big hug tonight because you never know the hour or the moment because certainly it. I know people who don't know him and think he was 91 that it's like, you know, that, oh, sure, you were going to, you know, whatever. It, the guy could have rocked on for 15 he years. Could have had another, I, I think he could have had another artistic career, another acting career and a whole new... Uh, level um so he was born in the last year of the calvin Coolidge administration he was a guest host he was on the johnny carson show 200 times 90 of those times he was he was the vacation host for johnny carson johnny carson not only had him on the couch talking to him but when johnny went on holidays the only person he would let in the car sit in was orson bean so and then he was had a tv career he he was nominated for a tony then he was on Desperate Housewives then. He had a role in Modern Family. His last big film role was in The Equalizer uh, with Denzel Washington. He, he had was a, nothing. Yeah, he, he had, had a, a career. Story. And then he, won, then he won the Critics' Choice Award, LA Critics' Choice Award at 89. For his own story. Yeah. Telling his own story. So. His, his, and and, a, and a, such a deeply personal story. But honestly, anyone who wants to watch it, and we highly recommend it, it's funny. It's, you will laugh out loud and you will cry he was, yes, just he was, as much. He was, he was always a comedian. So that's enough from us for this week. Um, a, a very sad, a very, very sad week for us. Losing Orson. We still cannot believe it. Um, so love all the people that you love. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>